Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. Something we've been covering over the recent years, probably seems like it's been like the last half a decade, are the various different big tech and uh, big finance corporations targeting people who have viewpoints outside of the mainstream, I think for lack of a better term operation choke point comes to mind that's uh yeah that's a that's from like several years ago now mm-hmm. i think at this point choke point you're gonna have to recap for our listeners what that was so uh as is, I, it's probably still going on well as i recall it was uh a bunch of uh financial companies were encouraged by the government to not process uh transactions for things like uh guns and ammo yep. or uh drug paraphernalia you know things that are legal but uh are, are sort of considered uh uh edgy i guess porn was yeah. i think another yeah. one porn yep. was also on the list yep so yeah, uh, they were encouraged not to uh, provide financial services for anyone who was in these uh, sort of edge cases. And those continue. Those those stories continue. I just saw a headline within the last few weeks about I think it was Visa labeling uh, gun related transactions. Oh yeah, that's now. that's Visa, Mastercard. Mm-hmm. They're all on board with that now. Um, they're not explicitly saying that you can't do it, but they do track every single transaction so if you're if you're buying any firearms related things it's probably smart to either use cash cryptocurrency or some other fungible um currency for that purpose absolutely and the the control just continues to ratchet up uh we're going to talk a little bit about cbdc's which Mm -hmm. are what are uh, that's a term for central bank digital currencies and how that's going to make things even worse uh but but first PayPal is in the news in the last, basically the last day or so here for a new policy that they are apparently going to be rolling out coming up on November 3rd. It's been getting a lot of pass around on social media, and for good reason. This is particularly upsetting to people. The new policy will permit PayPal to sanction users who advance purported misinformation or present risks to user well-being with fines of up to $2,500 per offense. The financial services company, which has repeatedly deplatformed organizations and individual commentators for their political views, will expand its, quote, existing list of prohibited activities on November 3rd. Among the changes are prohibitions on, quote, the sending, posting, or publication of any messages, content, or materials that promote misinformation. I've yeah. seen people on Twitter, um, 800,000 followers, blue check marks, saying that they have never been happier in their lives, that this terrorist this bombing, that a terrorist attack happened against uh Innocent people. Three innocent people died as a result of that, let alone how many innocent people are going to be affected by the supply chain disruptions that ensue. So, yeah, PayPal probably not going to go after people expressing those viewpoints, because, again, if you're expressing the mainstream viewpoint, you're safe. Uh, as far as PayPal is concerned for right now. Well, it's it's the same thing with uh, with misinformation or with violence. If it is state sanctioned misinformation, it's not in, it's not misinformation. If it's state sanctioned violence, even unofficially, which Ukraine is not officially state sanctioned, but it is very clearly state sanctioned. I mean, they're getting billions upon billions of yeah. uh, dollars from U.S. taxpayers. So the. There has been something that has changed in the last 24 hours about this particular story, and that is PayPal has walked back the $2,500 fine, basically. The Mm -hmm. idea that PayPal, 
would be able to just deduct $2,500 from somebody's account for saying something that they don't like. Maybe they realized that was going to open them up to some serious financial ramifications because, I mean, technically they have, I think the term is fiduciary duty to, even if they are going to close your account, if you've got money in that account, they have to give it back to you. Mm. You know. Well, and and one of the things about this is that, I mean, we have very clearly seen what people are willing to put up with, but there are certain things that will actually get people to st- to do something, to to get up off their rump and like sue them, for example. Mm-hmm. So they will actually go, no, that is beyond the pale. I'm going to actually go hire a lawyer now, whereas they'll put up with a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you can this, push somebody pretty far. Yeah, and and, and I mean, it, it is just baffling to me that you are literally living out memes at this point. <laughs> like th- this, th- mm-hmm. th- there were a, a handful of memes of like, you know, you, you uh, like... The, the little uh, place where you swipe your card at the register or at the gas pump, and there would be like a little uh, uh, thing where they put in uh, that your uh, that your charge cannot be completed until you uh, delete this number of tweets, for example. <laughs> right. Of course, Goldbacks are a perfect example of something that there's no third party involved. It's just a person to person transaction to buy or sell things. Whereas PayPal, they've got your balance. And if they want to freeze that balance and turn it over to the government, they can do that or hold well, on to it. And, and, and goldbacks are truly fungible. Mm-hmm. So like yes. dollar bills are mostly fungible, but if they want to, they can say, okay, well this serial number of this bill was issued to this person at this time. This serial number of this bill came back into this bank over here and get some idea of what's going on if they want to put forth the effort. Goldbacks do have serial numbers. Do they? They do. Yeah, oh, they do. I but noticed. I mean, you don't deposit them and the banks don't track. So, I mean, your your point kind of tracks still, but they do still have track. You know, they still do have identification numbers, I guess you could call them. It's actually a uh, anti-counterfeiting feature because gotcha. uh, if you look at the back side of the Goldback, you see the reverse of the image. By the way, Goldback's beautiful. If you haven't seen them yet in person, the images online just don't do them justice. You really yeah. have to see this to believe it. So there's like an image on the front of artwork, but on the back side, there's like the reverse kind of negative image of that mm-hmm. artwork. And the serial number is part of that reversed image. So again, it's if somebody's just copying a, a fake gold back or whatever, which of course would be very difficult to even try to make. Yeah, a gold, I was trying to think. I was like, back. dear God, how would you even attempt to? Yeah. They can't do that backside, and you would have to spend millions of dollars in order to have equipment that could even come close to doing a fake gold back. And if you've got that kind of equipment, <laughs> you might as well just make real product at that point. So yeah. anyway, there's a lot of cool like anti-counterfeiting features. So back to the story about PayPal, though. Uh, there's a senior program officer at the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. I've got to say, I've never heard of them, but they sound like a good group. Uh, Aaron Turr. He says, under existing law, PayPal has the ability as a private company to implement this type of viewpoint discrimination policy. Whatever motivation they have for establishing these vague new categories of prohibited expression, they'll almost certainly have a severe chilling effect on users' speech, as is often the case with ill-defined and viewpoint discriminatory speech codes. Those with unpopular or minority viewpoints will likely bear the brunt of these restrictions. And so that does ask you know sort of ask for the question of well why is paypal doing this what is their motivation is this coming from on high somewhere is there mm. you know somebody higher up than paypal that you know paypal's its chief executive is a member of this secretive cabal of bankers mm. or whatever who who is making these decisions 
and why is it? Well, and, and one of the things that people tend to think like, oh, if this is coordinated in X, Y, and Z sort of a way, then, oh, it's a conspiracy. Or like, oh, if you're saying that this was, you know, that this is all working in the same direction, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist, when none of that is necessary. I mean, uh, it, there is such a thing as a culture. Mm-hmm. Like, you create mm-hmm. a culture. So if you have a culture of we are against X, and especially if that culture becomes, you know, dominant politically, then it will spread throughout everyone who is reliant on that uh, political machinery. But shouldn't PayPal have a culture of making money? I mean, that's what they were. That's what they got into business in the late 1990s as basically the, the first company to guess really... who has all the money. These sorts of moves by these corporations should incentivize people to go and look into some of these alternatives that we've been talking about for years, like cryptocurrency, where you don't have to rely on a centralized uh, counterparty or you know mediator or whatever, somebody uh, to pass your money through to get it to the other destination. So, I mean, uh, you brought up it's their company. They can do what they want. And one thing that I'd actually like to get uh, y'all's perspective on is this, like, uh, so it seems to me that, number one, no one reads their contracts. Number two, contracts are written in a language that we can't even read when we try. Legalese. Yeah. I mean, it's literally a different language. I mean, like, for example, in my language, if I say the sentence, a person does not need to breathe and can live forever. Like, that's, You're a that's crazy insane. Person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In that language, because a person is a different thing, of course a person doesn't need to breathe. They're saying a person can also include a corporation, which, of course, is just a file folder. It's a legal fiction. Right. It's paperwork. Right. right. So, I mean, it, the idea of like, OK, if it's yours, you can do what you want with it. But here's the thing. When you have an agreement with someone, they have to be clear what the agreement is. Mm. And it seems to me that PayPal, it, it, like the only time when they tell you what the agreement is, is when they say it in this language you don't speak in this document that is too long for you to read, even if it was in your language. Whereas, like, if you're going to if you're going to non fraudulently interact with a person, you have to make clear what the agreement is. And it seems like they're saying we will make payments for you. So hot take, guys. I actually don't hate this. And the reason, by the way, Zeffin's going to law school. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, no, um, I'm not talking about um, the broad points that you're making. What you're saying, I completely agree with. What I mean is their policy broadly because the way that i see it um there's two ways that we that everything can end up one we just experience complete tyranny that pushes people to the point of trying these alternatives where people are so uncomfortable with how paypal and all of these other institutions are treating them that they go to cryptocurrency and they all flood to it and all of these different alternatives Or we can go the route of them boiling the frog slowly, where it's just over time they make small little changes to their policy that no one notices. And then by by the time that it's that it's over, you know, the outcome is worse than we could have ever imagined. So So the the only the only criticism that I have of them is I wish that it was a fifty thousand dollar (laughs) penalty. I don't know if um, you guys have used PayPal that that much. I Try I to started sta- with them in the late 90s. So I, yes, I, I, have. I try to stay away from it because it's kind of a crappy system. Like uh, um, the fees are really high. It's really slow. I um, I was paid 
um, something for it recently, and it took like over thirty days to like take out my money, and it was a good Jeez. amount. It was a good chunk of change. Why? Um, Why did it take so long? Uh, I think that they just um, they said, "Oh, it's too much money, and so you have to like wait a time period." Mm, and then there was yeah. like some mm. verification process. I didn't have to. That is weirdly um, do. standard for banking. yeah, and 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 none of these things are things I've run into with cryptocurrency, obviously. <laughs> right. um, and and right. and also, if I had used something like Bitcoin Cash or something like that, I'm not even. Really Really incurring a fee, so why would yeah. I deal with um, with a bureaucratic agency basically that's slower, uh, costs more, and is much more of a hassle, and uh, that yeah. I can't even control? Yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, I, you're not going to find any opposition here uh, <laughs> on, on this program, but if you want to weigh I'll, in, I'll devil's advocate on this one. All right. Um, so the the it seems to me that the reason people are still using you know dollars instead of B, uh, Bitcoin Cash, for example, is because they are so focused on liquidity. Mm-hmm. Because you can't necessarily find someone who wants Bitcoin Cash. Mm-hmm. You can always find someone who wants U.S. dollars. Partly because you know if we don't have a certain number of them, they will kidnap us. Well, living in New Hampshire, I certainly could have uh, gotten it liquidated a lot faster than 30 days. Believe that. <laughs> mm, that's that's a good point. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's no doubt that people accept dollars. It's the incumbent. It's always hard to knock the king off the hill, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's yeah. not going to be an easy thing to do. Uh, Inertia. Cryptocurrency is still new to mm-hmm. the game. So, I mean, for us, we're all old hat at this. But most of the people listening on you know broadcast radio probably mm-hmm. still haven't even gotten uh, their first bit of a coin, right? Like right. their first mm-hmm. fraction of a, a, of a Satoshi, Satoshi or whatever, yeah. right? So uh, they're still just hearing about it. And if you go back in time and you look at being a credit card salesman in 1950 or whenever it was the Diners Club came out, the first credit card technology, imagine the difficulty of going around to businesses and saying, hey, I've got an idea. How about you start letting your customers use this thing to make payments with? We'll charge you for it. And your customers will be happier. I mean, business well, will be like, what are you talking that's about? That's credit cards, though, isn't it? That's exactly what credit cards yeah. are. That's what I was describing. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's been done before. It just has to be done again. That's what and, I'm, but I'm it'll saying. It'll be easier it this easy. time. So this word gets thrown around, misinformation. It's, a, it's, it's sort a of a buzzword so these recently, days, yeah. right? And, and they talk about this thing as if it is just the easiest thing in the world to discern the nature of truth. Oh, it's easy. You just ask the government and they'll tell you. <laughs> They would well, have no incentive to lie to you. Uh, right. <laughs> politicians never lie. Mm-mm. The underlings of politicians couldn't possibly lie. We're the government. Trust us. Right? Weren't you paying attention in government school? They taught us all this stuff already. They sure yeah. did. Well, and uh, honestly... <laughs> taught if, you to obey and believe everything they tell you. You know, if people didn't hate philosophy so much, this wouldn't be such a problem. Like, if we actually had the occasional conversation on the nature of truth then it it would not escape our notice how difficult that is to pin down. Mm-hmm. So when when they come along with this, oh, well, misinformation term, we we would be immune to the idea that there is an easily discernible truth or a single authority that can tell us exactly what is real in the universe all of the time. I don't know if you guys, I don't know if you were on the night that I played it, but there was a clip of the Jacinda Ardern. She's the prime minister character from New Zealand. And she was literally saying, 
you come to us for truth. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that essentially yeah. was what she was saying. Mm, we I are your that. source for the truth. That's actually what she was telling people. Mm-hmm. And you have to wonder how many people believe that. Yeah, it was, uh, I'm trying to remember the exact phrasing of it, but there was a, 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 gosh, it was like CNN or MSN or something like that, uh, that, that she was talking about uh, all these misinformers and how they're telling you what's real and that's our job. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And just the phrase, that's our job, just sort of slipped out and it's mm-hmm. like, yes, that is exactly what you really believe and you could not possibly have gotten this job if you did not, in your heart of hearts, believe that that is the truth. Somebody's asking permission from some big mega bank in order to have these these payment networks. And mm-hmm. so, you know, pay, Patreon shuts us down tomorrow and we go with something else that allows credit card processing. It's only a matter of time before if we're really unpopular, somebody points out to whichever credit card processor that is and says, oh, did you know you're doing business with this company or this group? And, you know, then you're done from there. So eventually, if they want well, to, they will shut you down from every single centralized payment platform out there well at this point there are a lot of companies that are starting up specifically because of that because patreon is uh for example is is censoring a lot of the a lot of they the, have done that. the workers so there are a lot of uh, you know like locals for example was started specifically because like patreon and subscribe star were uh pulling the accounts of uh, of oh, opinions subscribe they Star's been doing with. it too yep yeah, a little a bit surprise a little bit and and that's why uh, locals came up with. But does specifically locals take credit cards? Uh, yes, and they yes. they can be targeted too, mm. right? Well, and and one of the interesting things about uh, PayPal in particular is like it is at the the meeting point between two things that are going on. Like on the one hand, you have like uh, Twitter and YouTube and all of that uh, uh, censoring people because of their uh, their beliefs or the information that they put out. And, like, because so many people have moved to these large platforms, they believe that they can use them to manipulate people. And at the same time, the U.S. dollar is doing the same thing, and especially the SWIFT, the Swift system, uh, the, the international banking system that's associated with mm-hmm. it. So many people have moved to the U.S. dollar and have made this the, the reserve currency of the world that they are using it to manipulate people into doing what they want. Right. I mean, not even, as we've seen with the Russia situation, not even nation states are safe from being deplatformed. Right. I mean, that Russia's been taken off of SWIFT. Quite right. Now, uh, and we should get into the Russia-Ukraine situation as well, but since we're talking internationally here and still about money, because you wanted to comment on the United Nations. Mm. This was a story that we did talk about, I think, earlier this week in that the U.N. is demanding that not just the U.S. Central Bank, the Federal Reserve, Mm -hmm. but other central banks stop raising interest rates because this is going on in a lot of places. It's not Mm -hmm. just happening here. They're all playing by the same playbook. And the U.N. said they should stop because they're worried, supposedly, about a recession. <laughs> so uh, just real quick, just to point it out, uh, I, you got to love how they're like, uh, it's not us printing all this money throughout the world that's causing this recession. Mm-hmm. It's you not letting us have more money printed. That's the problem. Um so, like, as we get into a deepening recession and eventual depression, which we are in a recession, it will get worse. It will go on for a long time. Oh, but I heard the White House said it wasn't a recession because mm. they changed the definition of what a <laughs> yeah. recession is. Yeah. Well, you can go ahead and try that if you like, but mm-hmm. it doesn't change the price of milk. Right. So what does change the price of milk is printing all that money. Mm-hmm. And, and you got to love how they're going to blame this on not printing more money. 
But the, the thing that's uh, the, that really interests me about what's going on with this is, so at the moment, there is a plan to remove uh, commercial banks from the entire scheme. And commercial banks are not are not going along for the ride. The scheme of the dollar? International or... banking. A lot of what uh, the current circumstances is getting compared to was uh, when uh, uh, Federal Reserve Chair uh, Paul Volcker uh, raised the rates uh, a lot because we were in the same kind of a situation uh, when the uh, basically when OPEC uh, started an oil embargo on uh, the United States. But the problem is like so he raised all these rates to get inflation down. But at the time, the United States only owed like 25 or 30 percent of its gross domestic product in 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 debt right the national debt was only like 25 30 percent of uh, of our gross domestic what product. year are we talking about here? 70 okay yeah so um now it's over now it's 125 percent right? wow yeah wow, that low Right. Well, the thing is, well, I mean, it really wasn't that long ago. Like, I very specifically remember when we hit 30 billion Mm. or trillion. Trillion. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) These giant numbers that I can't comprehend are Mm -hmm. somehow like hard to distinguish from each other. But yeah, uh, when we hit 30 trillion, I remember that. And now we're at 31. Mm -hmm. So like and that's that's how compound interest works. You get Faster and faster and faster sure. at whatever is compounding. Well, and they keep printing and printing, so it's that's you know speeding things up. Well, right? and that well at the moment they have turned the printers off. How like, do you know? Well, uh, because their balance sheet is falling. Uh, so that uh, it's public information how much uh, how many uh, properties are on the federal balance sheet. Mm-hmm. And at the, and they've been what, selling them, haven't they? Yeah, uh, they haven't actively been selling them. Okay. Uh, what they've been doing is uh, what's called rolling off. So, like these are debts, right? And they have uh, particular uh, time periods that they have to be paid back at. So, what usually happens is that a uh, uh, you know a bond. We're talking about treasury bonds. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, bills, bonds, notes. They're all treasuries, right? Mm-hmm. So a treasury will come up and it'll be like, okay, so this is a two year. After two years, then you have to pay that off. So uh, a, a normal person, you know, buys a two-year bond. Then two years later, okay, they pay you what you paid them plus the Ten like, cents. yeah, <laughs> tiny Whatever amount. Crap, it is right. Mm-hmm. It's not a lot, mm-hmm. right? So when the when the Fed buys these, what they usually do is after say with a two-year bond, they go, okay, well this one is up. Let's buy a new one for the same amount. All of these treasuries that should be like ironclad, I will certainly get something out of this. It's the government. Of course they'll pay. That that must not be the only reason, though, because um, Japan and the United States almost have a symbiotic relationship. Um, really, the success of the—and I'm not ascribing any value judgment to this, but um, the— the success of the U.S. is the success of Japan to a certain extent. So um, I wonder what that what other motivation they might have here. If it's like a if it's a short term sort of decision, like oh the U.S. Treasury bonds aren't performing the way that we'd like for them to, or if it's a long term 
decoupling. I mean, it'd be great if it was a long-term decoupling. But Well, I mean, it, it's anyone's guess at the real reason, but here's my guess. Uh, so, number one, their banks are doing terribly. Like the Japan's? Ma- yes. Oh. Yeah, uh, they, they have a lot of what's called zombie banks. Like, they are propped up by the government. They do not, they're not actually solvent, but the government is not allowing them to cease to exist. Mm-hmm. So, the, like, that's the majority of banks in Japan at this point are no longer solvent, but they are propped up by the Japanese government. So, I mean, to a certain extent, they there, there's only so many of them they can buy. Like, they are not in a good position financially. Uh, Japan is going to get destroyed I'm guessing shortly after Europe does. Well, socially, they're pretty messed up over there, right? Where you've got a a group of uh, millennials or young people who just aren't having relationships. Mm. They're not having children. Yeah, no kids. They're not actually replacing the people who are getting old with Mm -hmm. young people. So they literally are running out of people to run the economy there. And Mm -hmm. they've, they've had to start in recent years... Uh, loosening the immigration policies to allow people to come in there and take jobs of like taking care of old people. Yeah, I was about to say you'd be hard pressed to find a country with a stricter immigration system than, than Japan, Japan as well, and that is definitely feeding into it. I recently got a gym membership, and that's the only reason why I would be watching C- um, CNBC. Um, I, but, they had it on the TVs. There? Yeah, they had it on the TVs there, and. A conservative estimate that I would say is that they spent at least 10% of the airtime talking about cryptocurrency wow. and Bitcoin in particular. Um, so that wow. that definitely solidified for me that um, to the big players, cryptocurrency does and will continue mm-hmm. to have a place in the conversation. Well, and it... it- it amazes me that people who run online businesses don't have a, a way to pay in crypto. Because, mm-hmm. like, I mean, you would think that, okay, sure, it's not that big yet, but it's not going anywhere, mm-hmm. and it's not that difficult to set up a payment system there. And look, if you don't want to hang on to cryptocurrency, that's fine. You can just, as soon Cash as you it get out. it, Cash it right out. But at least you have another way of people giving you payments. I mean, you know, it's like when PayPal started getting popular. Did did businesses not get PayPal as an option to pay? No, of course you did, just in case someone was going to do it. You know, and there are people who will do it. Uh, Our Friday night co-host, Chris, he runs an online business, mm -hmm. thinkpenguin.com. He sells laptops and things like that. So you could argue that maybe his customer base would be more likely to have and be interested in cryptocurrency. But he does see, and I don't know what his percentage is, but he makes it sound like it's a decent percentage. It's not like less than 1%. That mm-hmm. it's There's a fair number of customers who are willing to spend cryptocurrency, given the option. Mm-hmm. Well, and he takes the privacy coins, too, which I think helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay, right yeah. on. Well, uh, and, and it's important for people to be aware that this is a network And networks grow exponentially. Mm. I mean, just like organisms. I mean, it's like a doubling effect. If you have like only one grain of rice and then you have two grains of rice and then four grains of rice, doesn't seem like very much. But very, very soon it hits that hockey stick moment and it's taken over. And that's how networks grow is exponentially. 
Uh, so we were talking about these old payment systems like PayPal and the banks, and then we got into a conversation about the UN, which is begging, apparently, financial uh, central banks to stop raising interest rates. And Pico, you were sort of expounding upon yeah, so, your thoughts about that. So uh, I think the, the number one reason that the UN is calling on, on the Fed to stop, well, it's especially the Fed. Like, mm-hmm. I know they're not the only ones that they're calling on, yeah. but uh, they're the important one, really. I think the number one reason that they're that they're doing this is because the European Central Bank is about to crack. So, like, uh, we already watched the Bank of England break. Like, they were uh, uh, doing quantitative tightening along with the rest of the world, except for China. Um, they they were increasing their their base rates until they're like, oh, now we can't pay any of the pensions for any of the people that work in government. Correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't the euro drop below the dollar for like the first time in its twenty plus year, twenty five year history uh, yeah, recently? For, uh, for the first time, I think since um, uh, so it was Saddam Hussein uh, who uh, decided that the uh, 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 what was it? Um, so there was a, a uh, program, uh, Food for Oil, I think it was called, but it was uh, food and medicine and I think some agricultural products that were being sold, like basically bartered essentially for oil, but they were being denominated in uh, dollars. And he said, no, we will not trust, we will not touch the infidels' currency. We demand that these be uh, denominated in euros. Mm-hmm. And like that was absolutely breaking what uh, every other country was doing and like they were warned about this because at the time the euro was worth like half what the dollar was and they're like no nah, i don't care i'm gonna do it anyway hmm. and wouldn't you know it we end up invading them shortly thereafter <laughs> but yeah ever since then the euro has traded at higher than the dollar until, until now. august yeah mm-hmm. And yeah. now it's down to, according to XE.com, one euro is now just under 98 cents worth of a dollar. Yep. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And also true of the, the pound, it's been scraping. It didn't quite go below a dollar, but scraping a dollar right now at a dollar ten. Didn't yeah. it lose like 50% of its value or something in like that? In one day. In one day? Ugh. Yeah. Well, Lost this half is, its value in one day. Well, this is the kind of thing that will get these people to fight each other rather than us, so there is that at least. Wait a minute, are you telling me that uh, state currencies are as crazy, potentially, as the Bitcoin? You know. Oh yeah, like you could not tell the difference between an S-coin and the pound if you looked at the chart. <laughs> like seriously, I've seen this before, and it's when, when S-coins finally break. Well, I mean, mm. the biggest difference between uh, cryptocurrency broadly and, and fiat currency is that at least you have a chance that cryptocurrency will go up in value. Did you or someone you love work, live, or serve at Camp Lejeune between 1953 and 1988? If you or someone you know lived, served, or worked at Camp Lejeune between 1953 and 1988 and has cancer, Parkinson's disease, or another serious health issue, they are entitled to compensation. To see if they are eligible, they need to call Liberty Legal. Contaminants in the drinking water have led to these serious diseases and legislation is now available for 
for veterans and family members who may qualify for financial help from the government. There may be a time deadline, so don't wait. Call 888-918-1037. Anyone that has lived, worked, or served at Camp Lejeune from 1953 to 1988 and has had cancer, Parkinson's disease, or another serious health issue, the money is already set aside. 888-918-1037. 888-918-1037. I've heard you guys put forth on cryptocurrency so far and was uh, whoever's sitting side chair there with you, not Peekless, but the other fella. Zephan? You said that it, crypto has the potential to go up. Yeah, I <laughs> no, it always he's does. absolutely right. So like uh, the dollar will inflate. We will experience inflation of prices for goods and services as That's measured how that by the dollar. That's designed. It, they, they try to keep it at at least 2%, uh, but not as high as it is now. So somewhere between 8% and 2% is what they aim for. Whereas, whereas crypto, it could be inflation. It could be negative inflation. Or it could just stay the same. Right. Like Bitcoin. Yeah, nothing. Nothing ever stays the same. That's that's a, that's a fact. Yeah, definitely. Change is the well, only constant. One satoshi equals yes, one satoshi. One bitcoin right, equals one guys, bitcoin. You guys are all too young to remember. Eisenhower was the last general in the White House, and he warned us to be aware of the military complex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right now in New <laughs> Hampshire, the one he made. A, right now in New Hampshire, you guys have a genuine badass running for. I think it's the Senate, but it might be might be the House. Oh, the warmonger Bolduck. Bolduck is that? Yeah, yeah. He it, wants us to go um, fight boots on the ground in Ukraine. He is not a uh, a good candidate whatsoever well they made they made a movie about this dude he led the only cavalry charge in probably over 100 years by the american military in afghanistan well just because somebody uh, did something heroic in a situation they never should have been in in the first place doesn't mean they know the first thing about freedom this person is a piece sham this uh bulldog person and it's sad how many people Mm -hmm. have bought into what he's selling and, and no one is taking this with the appropriate seriousness. I mean, like, okay, you put one troop in Ukraine. That's World War Three instantly. Instantly. There, uh, you are toying with nuclear annihilation of the human species if you put one boot on that ground. And he's not treating yeah, it that way. He wants... Him, uh, I hadn't heard about him supporting boots on the ground in Ukraine. That's new info for me. Yeah. yeah I always uh, let people know about that. Ground, and uh, if uh, if I remember correctly, he also supports creating a no-fly zone over Ukraine, which is the same problem. Mm-hmm. You create a no-fly zone over Ukraine, you will have American planes in fights with Russian planes. And if that happens... Well, I, damn, I, I damn sure think Biden should have gotten off those, uh, those Russian MiGs that were stored in Poland there. Keeping in mind that the military complex or the military industrial complex is a dangerous idea and one that should be gotten rid of, the last thing you should do is cheer on people who've come from that military complex and are right. asking for more of it. You know, it'd be one thing if Bolduck yeah. was saying, I'm against war, we need to get the U.S. military out, like Ron Paul would want to close down right. all the military bases. Or Smedley Butler-like situation. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's not that guy. Yeah. He's a typical, uh, you know, I believe I saw him speak at a Republican event the first time around because he's run before um, uh, two years ago or whatever, whatever it was. It, 
whenever, four years ago, whatever it was, he was giving a speech, and uh, he just seemed to be like your typical run-of-the-mill Republican. He was fear-mongering about Muslims at that time and immigrants and the, just the whole usual talking points. First time I met him was at the uh, 2A rally in Concord, and the first thing he did That's, was— uh, Second uh, Amendment. Yes, um, was he walked up to me, and he was like, I just—I saw your keeper and I wanted to let you know I'm a fervent supporter of Israel. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, okay. and I'm like, uh, I wanted to tell him that he was barking up the wrong tree, but, but you I— didn't? I just thought it was so amusing, you know. Like I just, I was in, I was along for the ride, you know. Mm. He's, it's this, got, it's this politician who's trying to pander to you, and you yeah. don't get that happening to you very often. And so I, I was just, just enjoying. I just want you to know it. that I'm in favor of our weapons testers. <laughs> I don't know. It would have been pretty entertaining to have you uh, smack that one right back into his face, <laughs> just, you know, just to surprise him with mm. something he wasn't expecting. Yeah, you know, those yeah, people, like he if, doesn't know how to handle that. Yeah, mm. like if you had pointed out. Well, if you're in favor of Israel, then the first thing that we should do is stop giving them money right. and arms. That is my mm-hmm. position. I do actually care about um, the people that live in Israel because, you know, they're my Jewish brothers and sisters. Um, and the biggest thing preventing Israel from becoming, you know, this economic powerhouse, in my opinion, is all of the welfare that the U.S. gives it. Mm-hmm. Um, if the United States government uh, did not take care of all of its basic needs then there wouldn't be a giant bureaucratic and inefficient system that they currently have it's one of the most bureaucratic countries in the world when you know given uh given how in in history jews have been at the forefront of innovation and and entrepreneurialism and things like that to have a government get in the way of it um you know just i i think that they would be a lot better off if if the u.s just cut them off Zeph and I know that you've been paying attention to this train. We keep calling it a train explosion. <laughs> I had that, that's what I had written down here. But uh, It's a bridge. It's a bridge. <laughs> now, I don't know if there's train tracks running next to the bridge. I don't know. It is apparently like an 11-mile-long bridge between Russia and Crimea, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Yes. And there was a massive explosion that went off that ostensibly was uh, apparently a suicide bomb. At least by the video that is available, it appears as though a semi-truck was loaded with explosives and set off at some point uh, across this bridge in order to, well, you know, interrupt supplies and such from getting from one point to the next. And uh, took out at least, was it three innocent lives? Yes, it was three innocent people. And I I would say that it is an incalculable number of additional people that will be impacted by uh, the supply chain disruptions that ensue from this. This is, uh, according to a top Ukrainian general, um, he he said that the Crimean bridge was target number one, um, just highlighting how vital it is uh, for um, the people of Russia as well as obviously the Russian government. So you said that was in a Ukrainian official? Yes, the, so they're uh, not they're top not Ukrainian this. general. They're they're not denying this. They're saying it was us. We did this. This wasn't no, some no, no, terrorist. No, 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 no. They're so, not claiming no, so that they did it. They're not. He's claim- just saying that it was their uh, primary target. Right. Ah, okay. So they are, regardless of who did it, mm-hmm. um, they are certainly not upset that this happened. Got it. Yeah. So well, they haven't claimed responsibility. Yet, right. Well, and it makes sense. It's like, well, shoot, if we're going to be at war with Russia, let's get that piece of territory back. Because hmm. uh, the thing about being at war is that those lines on the map tend to change after them. Hmm. So since they're at war with Russia, they want their Crimea back. 
Yeah, let's uh, talk briefly about the history. Uh, at least, you know, not that we're in the area or we know a whole lot about it, but my understanding was it was uh, 2014 that Russia annexed Crimea. Is that correct? That they, they kind of took that, that territory? Was there a vote involved in that? Because I know that, uh, there was. Yeah, I yeah. know that Donetsk and Luhansk had a vote to mm-hmm. declare independence from Ukraine, which was, of course, ignored by Ukraine. But I don't know a lot about the Crimean situation there. So, uh, 2014 is basically when the United States puppet government came to power in Ukraine, mm-hmm. and as a result, they're like, okay, well, since these are a bunch of Russians, ethnically and linguistically. Um, we're going to take our Crimea and go home since, uh, since there is an enemy power that is now in control of this country that has a bunch of, uh, what Russia considers its people. They're like, yeah. okay, well then since this is an ethnically Russian area, it's ours now. But so there was a vote though, uh, mm-hmm. of the people I there. So. Okay. And, uh, and since that time, as I understand it, there's been like the, the Ukrainian government dammed up. So, uh, an important waterway to Crimea to prevent mm-hmm. them from being able to drink water. Mm-hmm. Because and, clearly all the Ukrainian government cares about is peace and democracy and justice. Yeah. I'm going to call out evil actions when I see it. And if Russia did something equivalent to this, that wouldn't make it any less evil. No um, the fact that most of the world is more sympathetic to the plight of Ukraine should make people more skeptical when Ukraine does actions, because it's acting almost with a certain sort of qualified immunity. Um, where yeah, they, they can, can do no wrong, right. apparently. Yeah, um, and I think that you've got to be skeptical of that, because uh, some of the worst atrocities in all of human history have happened when people let down their guard in that way. Mm-hmm. And it, it's worth uh, pointing out that so the, the Crimean Peninsula, uh, this was its only connection to Russia. Like, there is no right. land connection between Crimea and Russia. There is a very small land connection between Crimea and Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, all, all of their traffic, all of their uh, power had to go across a body of water in order to get there. So, like, breaking this is is huge. It's critical. Yeah. Infrastructure. Um, and, by the way, apparently there were some tracks, some train tracks, so we weren't necessarily wrong. <laughs> yeah, I noticed uh, that on, on the article. According uh-huh. to yeah, according to RT.com, uh, trains will be running again as of, like, 8 p.m., whatever time you know time zone they're in. And they have actually investigated this already because there's video footage. You can see footage of the truck uh, in question going down the bridge. There's a camera. So they were able to identify, apparently, the truck and where it was registered to. And it was a resident of Russia's Krasnodar region. So apparently somebody from Russia at least was involved in this. That doesn't mean he's not working with the Ukrainian government or whatever. We don't know what the, you know, the details are, but well, that's as what I they're pointed, saying. Uh, as I pointed out earlier to Zephan, uh, if we don't know who did a thing, obviously it was the Russians. <laughs> you know, I mean, everything that was done was done by the Russians. Don't well, you know that? look at what they've done to themselves the, recently. I mean, Hunter's Laptop? Clearly the Russians, mm. you know, uh, the uh, Nord Stream 2, obviously the, the Russians. Russians blowing mm. up their own $20 billion pipeline and I'm, now blowing up their own uh, bridge. Don't right? forget, this actually extends a lot farther than that. Um, not I'm not going to just talk about the Soviet Union, but uh, but you also have, oh, who stole the 2016 election? It was the Russians. Obviously the Russians. Yeah, duh, of course. It's like 1980 Americans would never yep. vote for that awful Trump guy. That could never happen. They're quite satisfied with their system as it is and would never want a populist uprising. 
came in as the number one most uh, polluted state of mm. them all this year. So the year before, they were ranked number fourth. So this year, they came in four and um, number one, and they do this by analyzing the soil. So they, if they collect the uh, land samples with the most amount of toxins, mm. so they get this weighting. So did you say analyzing so, the soil? soil yeah, she yeah. said soil. Right, right. Why I, I are they saying it is, did they have any ideas to what is doing the pollution? Where the, What's the source of it? I have a guess. I mean, aren't they, aren't they big, like, uh, they're big on, on oil companies. Oh, yeah. Petroleum yeah. oil, that's like state money, right? And then everybody's uh, convinced that it gives them jobs, it created business, so they go along with it. But when I visit El Paso, I mean, I can't, my chest hurt, my, it, like, it hurts for about two days. Because all of the toxins, yeah, and then their water was just awful. I have and heard I that. Think, mm. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, uh, they're all, yeah, that yeah. the Texas water, water in uh, yeah, that the water in uh, especially certain areas of Texas is just terrible. Mm-hmm. Well, and so my first thought is like, I seem to remember a an oil pipe uh, bursting in the Gulf of Mexico that yep. never actually got fixed. What? Yeah, what I mean, like it, it, it it's it's spilling less now. Oh, really? But it never stopped spilling, so it's still just pumping that oil into wow, the Gulf I had not of Mexico. Heard that. That's crazy. That well, I thought that didn't we have that big Gulf spill and then that's we? That's what she's talking, that's the one. She's talking yeah. about. Yeah. Okay, oh, I had no idea. I figured they'd uh, taken care of that by now. Where are you? Where did twenty-four where, hour news cycle? We just moved yeah. on to something else. Huh. I How guess Trump that? became more important or something else. How but, can we yeah. verify that story? Because that's pretty wild. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, at least the last I checked on it, mm-hmm. they had never fully been able to seal it. Yeah. So it's just. Pouring that oil into the Gulf of Mexico. And they didn't just build a new platform and... They can't. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess just kind of all, like, going into the um, Texas coastline, is that they got the coastline mm-hmm. along Well, the I don't Gulf, think right? they're desalinating Gulf of Mexico water for Texas. They're probably getting their water from rivers or underground or something like that. Oh, I'm but... just saying, like, uh, the, the very fact that you have oil... Uh, even diluted waters uh, right along an enormous coastline is going mm-hmm. to infest the, the the soil of that region. Mm-hmm. If you are trusting the government to keep you safe from something, they have no incentive to do so. If anything, they have a reverse incentive because if, uh, let's say, that the um, pipeline bursts in the Gulf of Mexico, that people like Sarah and others are going to call for an you know, for that program to get bigger right. and for mm-hmm. them to get more power. More and so, so they actually thrive under these environments in which their um, malfeasance causes the problems because they can always just demand for more of themselves. Sure. And that's true in other areas like, you know, the situation in uh, was it Uvalde, Texas, where the cops oh, right. didn't allow parents to even go try to rescue uh, their own Don't kids. even bring that up. That mm-hmm. that boils my blood to no, none other. That. But they didn't shut down the police department there. You know, they, they I think they might have finally uh, gotten rid of the police chief, but that doesn't mean anything's going to change. That right. engaged enough right-wingers to consider, um, you know, the whole um, ACAB movement that mm-hmm. it, you know, at, at least that came out of it. Um, True. Where, where right-wingers ended up being suspicious of police after that. That's the only silver lining behind that. Everything else about that situation just boils my blood. 
Uh, let's talk yeah. a little bit more about police well, here. Okay. Uh, so this is the very same problem as like the major was calling in earlier, and he's like, uh, where it's like, okay, you would think that the military wanted to win a war, but if mm. you actually think about it, they have every reason to stop a war from ending mm. because they keep they keep spending big money with the industrial complex. Exactly. Right? personnel and parts and, and this is bombs. any problem and, and that's like that is the real issue with expecting the government to fix any given problem mm-hmm. if you put them in charge of a problem like there is a very basic desire to keep existing and every human organization will have some amount or another of that desire to survive yep. and it, like if you put the government in charge of solving homelessness Guess what? If you actually solve homelessness, that part of the government disappears and it right. doesn't want to want die. That. Right. It wants to live. So yeah. it will make damn sure that you don't solve the problem of homelessness. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. Uh, in fact, speaking of government solving problems, it created. Look at the war on drugs. It took mm-hmm. 50 years before finally Joe Biden announces this week that they're going to pardon just the people who were convicted federally of possession. Mm-hmm. of marijuana so we're not talking about like everybody who peacefully sold marijuana that the the federal government has behind bars but people that might have gotten caught at like a federal park or something like that with possession of cannabis those are the cases we're you know what's about. funny about that circumstance mm-hmm. is that um a few hours before that happened i um i was able to send a tweet from lpnh's twitter account yeah um that said don't forget the democrats have control of the house senate and president and had have still not taken any steps to legalize or decriminalize cannabis you think they were watching well, so there's uh, there's two uh, streams of thought about this. One, oh, that aged terribly, or two, uh, LPNH has significant sway over the U.S. <laughs> drug policy. Zephan, uh, you said you wanted to talk tonight about sanctuary cities, but not necessarily for the Second Amendment, which is kind of where mm. the term seemed to get some popularity some number of years ago, uh, but uh, because... All of New Hampshire is basically a Second Amendment sanctuary, right? To, you know, to a large extent, it's a very gun-free, uh, gun freedom-oriented uh, place here in New Hampshire. Yeah, I think the the first time I really uh, remember hearing the the phrase "sanctuary cities" was when, uh, like, uh, Trump had gotten into office, and there were a bunch of cities that were like, "Well, you're going to shut down immigration. Well, we're going to be sanctuary cities." And that's mm. the the uh, the circumstances we're going to talk about here tonight. Seth, right. and you so have some comments basically what a sanctuary city is, is um, the local police are barred from enforcing any sort of federal uh, immigration law. So they can't, um, if they find uh, somebody that is an illegal immigrant, they can't call ICE on them. They can't take any steps uh, towards deportation. Uh, they can't, uh, in some jurisdictions, they can't even cooperate with ICE. So if ICE asks local police departments, uh, you know, oh, have you run into any immigrants? Uh, they literally cannot tell them <laughs> uh, if they have or have not. Um, I so, support this, by the way. I think this right. is I'm uh, in favor. This is good. I'm at least in favor of exploiting it. Uh, so, <laughs> so what? There my, is an exception, by the way. The um, Keene is one of these cities here right. in New Hampshire. Well, actually, Cheshire County. It's to be Cheshire sure. County. Yep. Yeah. So the the, the sheriff here. Uh, Eli Rivera, you know, he is bad in plenty of ways. Of course, he's a sheriff, but he's right. Uh, he's right about this one issue, and so you know, kudos to him for for taking this particular stand. But as I understand it, they do still allow them to work with 
the feds if they're seeking an actual felon. So if they're actually right. going well, after somebody who's wanted for murder or rape or, you know, you name it, then, yes, they will work with them. But if it's just, oh, we're going to ask somebody because they're brown, you know, where they're from, no, right. they're, not, they're not supposed to that's, do that. That's definitely a different circumstance, too, because you can't – my understanding around immigration uh, law is that if someone does commit a felony and they are not a United States citizen, you can't actually lock them up in U.S. prisons. You have to deport them. So that, that – If someone commits Tell a felony – Tell that to Julian Assange. Hold on. If somebody commits a felony – in the U.S.? In the U.S. And they're not from the and U.S.? And they're not from the U.S. Um, they cannot be put into any sort of uh, prison, which is why um, you tend to see... And people that are even anti-immigration are surprised about this. Like their um, family member get gets murdered or something mm-hmm. by an illegal immigrant. And, um, and they just, um, you know, ship them, ship them out of the country. And wow. it's like, what kind of justice is that? Well, presumably um, they ship them to the right, uh, that's court what I mean. system of the country. Right. Sheriffs have a tremendous amount of power. They just never use it. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, weirdly enough, sheriffs should should never have been enforcing city statutes under any circumstances. Yeah. Except, so th- their actual legitimate job does include enforcing contracts. And contracts can have stipulations, which is what a a statute would be. So they act as if everyone who's in a city has a contract with that city, and part of the the contract is whatever the statutes are. So they act as if a contract exists, whether one does or not. So they really shouldn't have been pulled into doing police work, but they were. Hmm. Yeah, around here, the sheriffs, uh, it's very different here in uh, New Hampshire than where I come from down in Florida, where the sheriffs are constantly pulling people over mm-hmm. down there. They are the, one of the most prolific uh, law enforcement organizations out there. You see them everywhere. Here, there's hardly any of them, and their main task is just serving like court paperwork. They mm-hmm. go and they serve papers to people, and that's the bulk of what they do. Right. I did get pulled over by one one time. Uh, and he let me go, but, uh, you almost never see them actually with like cherries on and pulling that just almost never happens. There was an interesting article written by Jody Underwood recently, mm. who is one of the, the big sort of heroes of that meat aspect. She partially owns a farm called Bardo farm and they supply, I don't know how much meat. It's a lot of it. They, oh yeah. They supply a lot of this community. Lady knows a, how to grow some pigs yeah, up there. With a lot of, uh, of animals that, uh, animal products. So that's not what she's writing about in this case, though. She's writing about the successes of the Free Staters and giving them a chance. So I'm just going to share this here. Uh, it's from the union leader. This is an op-ed written by Jody. She says, Gurus who teach how to create institutional change like to say that change happens in three steps. First, they ignore you. Then they fight you. And eventually, they think it was their idea. This is beautifully illustrated by what happened in Croydon several years ago when some free staters thought it would be a good idea to set up a town tuitioning program, which is one of the mechanisms for school choice in New Hampshire. That is, instead of sending all students grades 5 through 12 to the failing Newport School District, Croydon would pay to send students to their choice of schools in the area, including some private schools. At first, the town's reaction was, yeah, sure, set up a committee to look into it. Once the town voted to put the committee's plan into action, the resistance began. Free staters want to destroy public schools. Parents can't be trusted to make the right choices for their children. Years later, the residents, including many of those who fought hardest against it, now think of town tuitioning as central to Croydon's identity Hmm. and critical to maintaining high property values. (laughs) 
The town tuitioning program has been the source of several success stories. Some children who are barely surviving in their assigned schools were able to thrive when tuitioned to other schools, including a local Montessori school. Some parents were able to exercise more direct control over the values to which their children were being exposed, again by choosing private schools, including a local religious academy. When the state tried to narrow the scope of the town tuitioning program, it was free staters who went to court to protect it. It was free staters who raised donations so the town wouldn't have to pay any legal fees. And it was free staters who worked with the state legislature to shepherd a bill onto the governor's desk, making it possible for any town to follow Croydon's lead in doing what was best for children. You just listened to the new extended Free Talk Live Daily Digest. We felt this format was more appropriate for our podcast audience and decided to make it our official podcast. If you subscribe to the Daily Digest or full episode RSS feeds, please resubscribe to the main FTL podcast feed, which you can find at feeds.freetalklive.com. The other feeds rely on a third-party service, and though they'll have the same content, we can't be sure how long they'll stay online. If you still want the entire radio show, you can listen live every night from 7 to 10 Eastern at freetalklive.com. Full video archives are at video.freetalklive.com or tune into our 24-7 stream for the latest show at listen.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live's amps will continue to receive the full two-hour radio show with no recorded commercials via podcast through Patreon. So please join amps.freetalklive.com for just $5 a month. Thank you for listening to and sharing Free Talk Live. <laughs> 